Hi, this is Steve Hogarth from Marillion on the Rock Show with Andy Fox. Hurry up, you've got an hour before it's dark. Progressive rock stalwarts Marillion began in the 80s, achieving major success with their first four albums. Steve Hogarth, of course, replaced original singer Fish in 1989, and they released a further 15 albums with 2016's Fear, or F-E-A-R, achieving critical acclaim and a UK top 10. The public perception of Merlion has shifted somewhat as they connected with their large fan base, crowdfunding, holding worldwide conventions and selling out the Royal Albert Hall in both 2017 and 2019. They've just released album number 20 called An Hour Before It's Dark and it entered the UK chart at number 2. It's their best showing since 1987. So tonight, in this hour special, we'll hear from all five members of the band talking about the making of the new album and its subject matter, uh, starting with vocalist Steve Hogarth. Well, it's just been such a strange time to be alive. Certainly unprecedented in my long lifetime. I think it's just cast a shadow over everyone, and I think even the people who feel they haven't been that affected by it are um, perhaps internalising that, and they may have to address it later. I've got a friend who's a counsellor, he, he just said, don't kid yourself, this has really rattled everybody, and if you think it hasn't rattled you, it's because you, you're not ready to admit that yet, but it's rattled everyone. I'd made a conscious <laughs> decision. Occasionally, there's been times in my life when I've looked in the mirror and given myself a good talking to. And I've always ignored everything I've said immediately. And, and, and this album's no exception because I gave myself a talking to in the mirror uh, and said, you shouldn't write about this pandemic because everybody under the sun is going to be writing about it. And then, of course, I couldn't help it because you can't express yourself honestly without referencing what's going on in the world at the moment and what's going on personally at the moment and th there's no getting away. That creeps into the metaphors of what you're writing about. We were all fortunate, really, to have planned 2020 as a, as a studio year. So up until that point, we had been jamming and Mike had been putting together, you know, cataloguing all the good ideas, all the ideas that had any musical value to them, I should say. So there might just be a great sound, there might be a nice keyboard, there might be a nice set of chords, there might be a great guitar riff, or there might be some really good vocals, or, you know, oh, this is a good, good starting point for a song. Anything like that, Mike catalogued. So we were lucky that when the first lockdown hit, we actually were in a situation where we were compiling our favourite ideas together. We had to, a, a company come in and deep clean the place and we had Rich come in and um, put screens up so that we were COVID compliant and hand sanitizer everywhere. And then we had this big long discussion about who was comfortable about going in and four of us were quite comfortable a varying degrees of comfort, of course. Steve Rothery felt that um, it wasn't a situation he was comfortable with. 
Well, that's it. Because of you know uh, my situation with my weight and diabetes, I I didn't want to take the risk of, of, of working at the racket club. So, you know, I I bad at that process a few months before everyone stopped working, uh, and yeah, then we kind of reconvened for a while, and then we stopped for a while as things changed and the situation um, changed. So it has been, um, it's, it's kind of a lockdown album really, I mean some of it I've, I've kind of recorded at home, but it's, I suppose in a way, it's, a, it's an album unlike any other in, in our career in that respect. The way we write, it's very, very peculiar, unlike, you know, it's quite a, a long, slow process because we jam all the ideas and then we, someone like, like Mike will collate those ideas and, and, and shortlist them and then we'll listen and we'll vote and then we'll take those ideas and jam them further and, and, and slowly but surely the songs begin to kind of coalesce from this kind of chaos. In the old days um, when we used to write songs it would be, somebody would start off with an idea, let's say I'm, I'm, I'm going to take Kaylee as an example Steve Rothery had this little ding, 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 you know, the, basically the verse part and rather than jamming it for six months like we like we would do now, I said, "What about that little bit of music that was on, tagged on the end of She Chameleon?" Uh, you know, that, and he said, "Oh, what this?" And I went, "Yeah." I said, "Couldn't that be a chorus?" He went, "Yeah." And then by lunchtime, we had a song. You know, I think it's because we we've all got different ideas about what we should be doing, and we've all got different tastes in music, and, and we've all got different priorities about what we think um, is important. You know. Um, if you ask H, it'll be, oh, well, it's, it's the lyrics. I will be like, well, you know, it's the, it's the chord structures, it's the, you know, the interesting changes from one section to the next, that sort of thing. I've been less involved in the nuts and bolts of the music this time than ever before. You know, I mean, I brought Easter to the band, and season 10, I brought fantastic plays to the band, I brought the party to the band. Have a listen to this. What about these chords? What about this tune? Um, but this album, I've, I, I haven't really... I've barely got involved uh, beyond a couple of piano vamps. I think that's about as much as I've done. I've concentrated on, you know, being a singer and, and writing the words this time. Mark's been on fire while we've been recording, writing this album, just as he was for fear.
I would say that this album, like every other album we've done, I mean, the, I, you know, I, I often wondered when, when, when H or whoever would say, oh, this album's like a, a reaction to the past one. It's like the antidote to the past one, you know. Um, but this one, it does feel like that. For a Meridian album, I've, I will say that first, for a Meridian album, it's much more up-tempo than the last album, I would say. The last album had its moments. It had its big, you know, big rock moments and its big moments of intensity and, you know, there was a frustration in, in some of that album because of the subject matter. But this album has a different side to it and a different intensity. So, so it's come out in the music as well. It's upbeat, but it's meaningful. Um, in the past, when we've written really upbeat stuff, I think it's been a little bit one-dimensional, conceptually. The upbeat stuff's been a bit one-dimensional. I mean, I'm thinking of Cover My Eyes and Hooks in You and Between You and Me. They were all, you know, I mean, I'm being hard, hard on myself, but, but they were all one-dimensional love songs. The upbeat stuff on this album is packing much more of a punch, I think, in, in terms of what it's about. You know, as, as usual, Steve's lyrics are, are totally honest and uh, obviously he's, he's saying stuff that's affected him personally and, and affected most people on the planet the last year or two. It's very strange for me, having written all the, the words and, and knowing what all of this stuff is about and where it's come from, and being on my own with that process, and, you know, ungrateful to be left alone with it as well, if I'm honest, um, for so long that you, get, you then get to a stage where you need to title the songs... I think it will surprise Meridian fans. It was a very daunting prospect, you know, starting to write the next album, which is one of the reasons why we wanted to put it off a bit. We wanted to make sure that everyone was comfortable and everyone was happy about going back into a studio and, and wanting to be creative. But it's great that we're, you know, in the last song, words reference most of the other songs and, and certainly all the themes which are essentially care and death of the planet and the you know the thing we've been through the pandemic which I swore I wouldn't write about and just couldn't stop getting in but I'd like to feel it got in in the right way
spoiled to death compared to the, the situation a lot of other people on earth and a lot of other generations of people were in we've never had it so good and yet we live our lives in in the pursuit of, of luxury or our idea of it and in order to you know whether it's the next Apple phone or the next sports car or whatever it is but, um, or the bigger house we're obviously murdering the planet and everything in it in that cause and it can't go on any longer and that's the existential threat isn't it, the, the, it, it in a way the pandemic is, is perhaps a harbinger of it but it's also overshadowed the environmental crisis a little bit and we mustn't let it because that's the big one um, the mass extinction uh, may well end up including us if we don't get our shit together um, so on with Greta T and David A it's about caring it's about saying well do more don't watch the fucking television don't sit in the pub I know it's comfortable but imagine what you could be doing you could, you could be saving something you could be doing something amazing and none of us do and we all think oh well I would help if I you know I'd like to help anyway let's, let's do something positive do something helpful make the world better you've got an hour before it's dark the murder machines are, are, are the virus because the virus isn't exactly a living thing is it it's a machine in that sense that all it does is reproduce and it reproduces by messing with, with your own body and involving itself with, without actually having a life of its own. We've been through a time where to put your arms around someone had the potential to kill them and so you know, that whether it was your own parents or, or the love of your life or your own children, which is so unnatural and, as I said earlier, has no doubt done everyone a lot of psychological damage, even if they think it hasn't. And so I thought, you know, to say I put my arms around him and I killed him with love and I, I, I put my arms around her and I killed her with love is also a metaphor for, for putting the pandemic to one side of, of, of how you can kill somebody with love if, if they're not allowed to love you back and how somebody can kill you with love by putting their arms around someone else they're, they're the two they're the two layers of the song
The track The Crow and The Nightingale is another standout from the album. Tell us about that one. The seed of this song was written after reading uh, The Book of Longing by Leonard Cohen. He went off um, to a Zen Buddhist monastery up a mountain in California and uh, he wrote the book there. The opening line of Crow and Nightingale was written having read the Book of Longing. And so really, it's a homage and a love song to Leonard Cohen. But then in a way, it isn't as well. It's more generally about feeling not worthy in the face of extreme beauty. I'd got, I'd got this idea about you know, the crow barking and the nightingale really singing sweetly. Um, and that's kind of how I think of me and Leonard Cohen, really, um, as writers. He's something of a nightingale and I'm something of a crow, I think. The crow and the nightingale idea, lyrically, was put on top quite early on. And it's one of these songs that's been worked on a lot, you know. Some songs you can overwork, and, and if you work on them too long, it's like you're working on this too long, there's something wrong with it. But this was one of those situations where we were working on it because we knew we could, you know, we knew where it wanted to get to, but we hadn't got there yet. But it was a really strong idea, so it was worth the time and the effort, and it was, we knew it wasn't going to be wasted. And then I've got this friend called uh, Tim Sidwell, and uh, he was telling me about this amazing choir called the Choir Noir. And he'd run into them uh, when they were doing some work with Bring Me the Horizon at the Albert Hall. And Tim said, do you want to check them out? They're, uh, they're a bit special. So I checked them out and uh, sidled up to Mike and went, seeing this, Mike. And we hatched a plan to, to add Choir Noir to... Uh, the Crow and the Nightingale. We wanted something a little bit unusual. And so Mike got in touch with Cat Marsh, who is the um, who sort of runs the choir and is the arranger, the vocal arranger. And Cat dreamt something up, and it's really wonderful. The sound that they make together, it's not like a, a normal church choir or something like that. It's what it's got a a really interesting vibe to it so I think with especially with Crow and the Nightingale I think they really add a lot um, to the mood of the song. Cat also sang some backing vocals some odds and sods of lines that I'd already sang that, that, that thought you know we thought might be nicer with the girl's voice instead of me um, so we sent her a few lines of BVs to sing, but then she also put, put that choir together, and it's quite stunning. Thank you for your words of longing It doesn't really matter Whether or not I understood them It doesn't really matter Where they take Black hill in a storm 
I've got a friend in Mexico called Conrado and he told me that he'd been getting backache and he'd been to the doctor and the doctor had scanned him and he'd got tumours all the way down his spine and it was, because it was on his spine it was inoperable and suddenly he was staring death in the face and his whole family and I'm, I was having lunch with them in Los Angeles suddenly sharing their pain and they managed to fix him. Um, he went through masses of chemotherapy, and I kept in touch with him the whole time. It was he was going through it to try and you know just let him know he wasn't on his own with it. Um, and he would send me pictures of him. So he would WhatsApp pictures of himself, you know, in bed with the chemo in his arm, going session number three. So the first part of this song is, is a contemplation of someone who is being given maintenance. I mean, they were his words. They give him. They give me maintenance drugs, and no one knows how much time they've got left. None of us. So you don't have to have a diagnosis like that to know how much time you've got left, because any day any one of us can walk under a, you know have a tree fall on him or, 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 or die behind the wheel of a car but no one knows how much time they've got and it's it's worth remembering that because you've got to live you know you've got to make it crack because one of these days and it might be this week you know you, you'll be you'll be staring the abyss in the face we always have a a late song, a late bloomer, if you like, one that's just gets in at the last minute, and it's usually a, a, a big one. I mean, right from the early days, you know, I'm talking like Script for Justice here, written and recorded in, on, in the studio. Fugazi, you know, the, 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 the main songs of the album. Um, Gaza, you know, on, on um, Sounds of Can't Be Made. Um, it wasn't, wasn't written until we were almost ready to put the thing to bed, you know, and suddenly we went, hang on a minute, we could have something here. And this one's a bit like that. We had this big ending, the the, the glorious angels section, um, and we knew that was great, but we didn't have a song for it. The song has three sections. It has this idea of someone uh, who's been given a limited amount of time to live. It has a middle section, which is a, a declaration of love, and the thoughts that will go through a person's mind on their last day as they know this is it and the places that they'll go and, and the the beautiful memories that, that they'll revisit and the person who, who they love as they realise they've got to leave them and that'll be a great sadness but it'll also be a celebration of, of the journey that that they've had together and then there's a third section to the song which is contemplating heaven and angels and what they are and how the angels are not on the walls of churches but they're in the world and they're, amongst, they're among us 
And a lot, you know, there's a lot of them out there right now wearing masks and covered in PPE. I saw this image and it really knocked me over. Um, and it was a photograph of a man painting a mural on a wall in Manchester. And so I did a little bit of research and it turns out that there was a, a nurse called Johanna Churchill and she'd taken a photograph of her friend and colleague, Melanie, sat down relaxing briefly and just sort of looking sideways, exhausted and worried. And it was just a really, really powerful image of what, of what, the, what the ICU nurses had gone through. And it inspired that, that last part of care and the heroes in this world not in a hall of fame or, or rendered in bronze or stone they're, they're working while we're sleeping it's just the words are beautiful the words are really beautiful and um and very yeah very um of our time i think a very important song i think especially due to the times that we've lived through and the end section of the song in particular um incredibly powerful and moving great testament to the to the bravery and sacrifice of a great many people not only in this country but around the world i think it's going to affect a great deal of uh, people emotionally uh you know not just the people who have lost someone to covid but just just the sheer i don't know the power of it is uh, and the beauty and the sadness in it um is, yeah, I can't imagine any of the band doing it. They give me maintenance drugs Said I'll be okay They give me maintenance drugs They said I'd be okay So I'm taking my time Living from day to day 
风。